I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Check it out. Boxed.com is a sponsor of Rebel Radio, and it lets you stock up on all the household items you need and save time and money. That's boxed.com. You never have to waste half your Saturday again at a warehouse club, at the grocery store, whatever, fighting for parking, waiting in line, all that stuff. That's over. Go to box.com. You can order the bulk items that you use every day. Toilet paper, paper towels, snacks, diapers. I don't know what you use. That's, that's none of my business. That's your business. But you'll get them at low prices. You can order at any time of day from your couch, from your phone. It doesn't matter where you are. And there's no annual membership fee. And uh, they even send samples, free samples of items for you to check out. The best part because you listen to Rebel Radio, you get 20% off. All my listeners get free shipping on their first order and 20% off at box.com. Enter the promo code REBEL. That's B-O-X-E-D.com, promo code REBEL, box.com. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Hey, what's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today is Champagne Drip. If you're a drum and bass head, you might know him as SPL. He, uh, he combines musical genres that you've probably never heard of before into his own unique sound. We're going to play some of his music throughout the episode. You'll, you'll get to hear what he's like. But he's blowing up right now with Mad Decent on a bunch of releases, collaborating with Dylan Francis. And um, he's going to give us some interesting insight into just exploring his creativity as an artist, exploring Buddhism, basically putting the creativity first and letting the business sort of work itself out. Good stuff coming up on Rebel Radio after our EDM.com track of the week. Here we go.
EDM.com track of the week, Audiobot and Bamiya with a track called Lies. I liked it. I hope you did too. Let's get into the interview with Champagne Drip. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so um, so <laughs> take me back to the beginning. How'd you, how'd you get it? How did music become the thing for you? Were you always into music as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. My my parents were into music. There was like a lot of music in my family in Portland, in Bend. Actually, in Bend, okay, about yeah, yeah. three hours east. I've never um, been, but I've heard good things about Bend. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I like. Now it's like my vacation. Is that right? Yeah, that's what. I, nice. My dad doesn't know, but his house is actually just my vacation <laughs> house. <Awesome. laughs> so yeah, I like. So what kind of what kind of music were you into? All kinds of stuff, like classic rock and I would say classic rock and classical music. Yeah. Were like the main things. And jazz. You were playing? Not a lot. Like I got in I played I took piano lessons, but I was okay. never like Not really that into great it. Yeah. at it. And like played drums. Uh-huh. But like drums are kind of weird to just play by yourself. Like right. it's yeah. Um, and I just, Bend is a small town, and, like, my friends who played music wanted to play different music than I did. So yeah. it, like, never, that's part of how sure. I got into electronic music is because it was, like, I could do it all myself right? kind of thing. Yeah, sure, you don't need a band. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have to be very good at playing instruments either. <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, do you remember the first record you ever bought? Yeah, I get, uh, well, I think so, yeah. I think it was like an MC Hammer cassette. Okay. I was like six years old or something, yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, I guess I didn't buy it because my mom someone bought, bought it for, it for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you, you picked it out. Yeah, I picked that, that out. That I heard counts. it on the radio. Right. And I thought it was awesome. Sure, so. yeah. Never heard anything like it before. We didn't really get like a lot of music in Bend. Right. The radios were like, yeah, yeah, pretty sad. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, how did you discover electronic music? Um, like through movies. Okay. So you know, I'd hear like weird stuff on movie soundtracks, and I always thought it was. Like, super cool. Like, which one? Um, I think, like, the Mortal Kombat soundtrack uh-huh. had, like, some electronic stuff on it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. And um, I can't think of other ones. 
Like I could think of ones later. Mm-hmm. But that might have been like when I was a little kid. Right. The first one. Yeah. And then my sister had a friend in high school who was like music guy, you know, right. played like ten instruments and knew all this stuff. And yeah. Um so I remember just asking him, like, oh, what's this electronic stuff? Mm-hmm. How can I find more? Like, what's good? Yeah. And then I remember he just emailed me, like, this list. Nice. Of, like, albums to check out. And you go, like, you go to Napster or Juno? It was, or, or it was before all that. It was yeah. before, like, MP3s and... Or maybe so, it was in the early days of MP3s, right. but there wasn't a lot of file sharing. So did you go into store? There was there stores. In yeah, there was like had... there were two record stores. Yeah, and they actually they had some cool stuff. So, um, you know, I would go in and like, I think I got like ten dollars a week allowance or something. Uh-huh. So I would like save up my allowance. Sure, and, that's like one twelve inch if they're imports, right? Yeah, I mean these CDs. It was like. Two thirds of a CD. Right. So exactly. it's like every other week I'd yeah. buy a new CD and like order stuff off of this list if they didn't have it in stock. Yeah. And they could get anything. So yeah. I remember when Napster first came out, I had this list that I've been keeping. You know, it's I'd probably kept that list for at least ten years. Yeah. Of just every time I thought of a song that like I remembered that I didn't have and then you'd you know, you'd look for it in the used record bins or whatever. Yeah. And it was probably like four or five pages long by that time. And then when Napster came out, I was like, was I spent crazy. the whole weekend, I think I didn't sleep, and I was just like downloading every one. Of course, half the files were bad. Yeah. Like, it was like misnamed. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. Yeah, it was weird. And right before that, there was a, um, it wasn't like a bulletin board, but God, I wish I could remember the name. It was it was like a bulletin board or like this weird like underground internet. Oh yeah. Area. Yeah. That you could log into. Yeah. I remember like grabbing like a bunch of Bjork stuff uh-huh. and like Aphex Twin and checking that out. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. Is that the stuff you were gravitating towards? Mm-hmm. From the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then how'd you start making your own stuff just kind of like really slowly yeah. just on the computer so like i was i think it's really silly but i would go on my parents computer and like any way to manipulate audio was just really fun to me so mm-hmm. it's like i would change the sample rate to like slow something down or sure. speed it up and and then, like, it was actually on that, like, I wish I could remember the name. It was, like, a bulletin board. Mm. And I remember finding Rebirth on there, which was, like, one of Propellerhead's first things. Mm-hmm. Who makes Reason. And it was basically, like, two 303s, an 808, and a 909 all kind of emulated in one screen with, like, a really old-school kind of sequencer, and you mm-hmm. could, like, punch stuff together. But I remember oh, the first funny. time, like, I tweaked, like, a virtual filter knob. I was, like, hooked. Nice. Yeah. And did you—so were you thinking that this could be a career, or was it, like— Yeah. Yeah, pretty early. 
Yeah, it's what yeah. I wanted to do. Like yeah. I was, I was, I was like, oh, I think before that I want, you know, I went through all the phases that kids go to. Like wanted to be a doctor and then wanted to drive a sweet street sweeper and all like the <laughs> weird little kid stuff. Nice. And then I wanted to paint. Um, I was really into painting. Yeah. Like, before I got into music. That's so but funny. then music, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I want to be a rock star. Like, yeah. that stuff. So. What age was that that you? Probably like 15 okay. or so. Yeah. So That's funny. My son my son wants to be a scientist and uh-huh. a Honda dealer for <laughs> some reason. Yeah, it's like weird stuff that yeah. kids want to do. Yeah, yeah, you just go through that. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. So, but pretty early on, you felt like you could do that. And so, did it? Was it like? Was that just sort of a dream, or or was it like? Did that feel real? Like you could actually make a living, making music. It, I think it felt real because I I was really naive, yeah. and I like it. Just, I think I was making music on the computer for like a year and maybe like immediately it wasn't like oh sure. this is what i want to do yeah but i i also didn't really know what it was i didn't know like how to perform electronic music i didn't really know how yeah, most people made. don't know how to perform electronic music yeah most people that are doing it yeah don't know how to do and it. i i didn't know how it was like made really so yeah. i was just kind of stumbling across software and I think back in that day, most people were using hardware, Mm -hmm. and it was, like, some of the earliest software, and it wasn't really, like, I couldn't really mix or master any of the music. Yeah. I was pretty bad. Like, it was, you know, just starting out making, like, terrible music. Did that But I remember trying to, like, it bothered me. I mean, at first I was kind of excited, and I think I thought what I was doing was cool. Yeah. And I'd record these, like, tapes yeah. and try to sell them around town and stuff with all yeah. the, like, park rat kids I hung out with and all the, like, just random people. And what was the feedback? Like, people were nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't think people in Bend really knew what electronic yeah. music was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, that also, much. Also, think there were like, some people who did, but yeah. I think some people humored me and were nice. So I, I don't think I got like the negative feedback to be like, "Stop doing this." Right. This is terrible. Yeah. But I quickly figured out like I would just start comparing what I did to the stuff I liked, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's such a serious gap here." Yeah. Like. Yeah. I gave up on it after about like. A year or two, and well, like then, discovered. Then what'd you do? I discovered the rave scene, okay, and DJing, which is like way easier, yeah, than producing. Yeah, so I was like, "Fuck this!" Like I can like play records that sound good, right, for an audience, and like, you know, it's creative, and like, I I just fell in love with it. It was super fun. So you were playing around Ben. Yeah, there yeah. was like a very small rave scene yeah. with like, like right when I got into it, like the second crew, mm-hmm. there was kind of like rivalry and all uh-huh. this crazy stuff. They had just popped in and uh, yeah, they were like doing parties in like old laser tag arenas and those are actually pretty <laughs> right crazy because they had all the props and yeah. everything. 
Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I remember the old days, you know, the rave scene even down here. And, and I grew up in San Francisco and it was like, you know, some of the most fun were these like repurposed venues. Uh-huh. You know, down here, like Compton Swap Meet was a big rave spot. And, uh, you know, so it was it was great. Right. Yeah. Like just even just being in a place that like, you know, you weren't necessarily supposed to be. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was like. I, I well, some of them were illegal, but but even the ones that weren't, it was just like it was just a just the fact that it was like a different, you know, environment than like a, a than just a warehouse yeah, or, a, or absolutely. a concert venue or something like that. Yeah, um, it was. I mean, when I first went, I had to like sneak out mm-hmm. to go, and it was like kind of a bad thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Did your parents find out? No. Nice. I don't know, or maybe they didn't, right, didn't right. tell but me. I think trouble. they like knew more than they let me know. Yeah. And kind of just let me figure stuff out. That's smart. Um So yeah, I never like really got in trouble. I remember like I ate acid at this party and lost my mind <laughs> and had to go like hide out at my friend's house. Sure. And his parents were hippies and like came up with an excuse. Like fed me fruit, uh-huh. helped me come down. Is that is that reminded a, me that I was? Is that an antidote for acid fruit? I think it was just like a distraction right. from the fact that like I got in way over my head <laughs> when I was really young. <laughs> That's great. And but like I told my parents that I was like had cat allergies because uh-huh. I do have cat allergies, so I can look like really messed up. Yeah. If a cat like sleeps on my face or something, right? So like, I, you know, I used the whole "I'm sick," but mm-hmm. really, I just like had a long night. That's good, man. I, <laughs> dude, you're you're way smarter than I am. When I first time I got high and got caught, like I told my uh, like I, we were just smoking weed, but but I told my parents that I got drunk. Oh yeah, which I don't know why that was better, <laughs> but like. <laughs> That's not, yeah, that's, don't do that, kids. (coughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah, the first time I got drunk was, like, with my sister, Uh and she dropped me off with my mom, and, like, I was like, I want to go back out and drink more, and my mom was like, no, you're staying here. I didn't get in trouble, but. That's cool. I guess I was with my older sister, so. Sure. Safe environment. Yeah. That's cool. So what kind of, when you first started DJing, what kind of music were you playing? Like a lot of techno and yeah. trance and like acid house and What's but up? I mean kind of everything. I think yeah. the first record I bought was drum and bass. Like what? Um, it was like a Diesel Boy uh-huh. record. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like um, just kind of everything. But I think the first stuff I was really playing out was like mostly like techno mm-hmm. and like. A lot of European stuff, yeah, which I think was most of the market, anyways. But totally, yeah, yeah. Um, and the feed, and you got like people were into it. Yeah, it was super fun. <clears throat> yeah, I had a great time. Like, do you remember your first time on stage? Yeah, that w- that was terrible. But like quickly after that, I kind of learned some of the like major not to dos. Right. And what, so, like, what what was one that you learned? Just like. I just needed – I got on stage probably too early. Yeah. So it was like I wasn't really, like, ready yet. Yeah. But it was like my friend was throwing parties, like, and uh, he put me on early, like, before anyone was there, 
even. Yeah. And then I got, like, a few more months of practice in. And then he did another show and, like, put me on, like, during, like, the prime, like, late night spot. And it was just, like, I could hold it together at that point. You know, it's so, like, you know, being willing to go out and, like, not being that bothered when you're not good, I think is so important. I have a friend, I'm not going to say his name, but he's, you know, pretty big DJ now. But and he used to do a DJ a party for me, you know, way back when he first. And the kid was just terrible. Uh-huh. He was just so sloppy. Like I think I saw him like just pick up the needle in the middle of a record one yeah. time and leave yeah. all this dead air. Like he just didn't know what he was doing. That was like me. Yeah. But you know, like, and then he came back, you know, three months later or whatever, and he just killed it. Yeah. And like he figured out what you know whatever he needed to figure out, and then he was great. And, I mean, and it's like pretty traumatizing to like leave that dead air for sure when you're up there. So it's like, oh, it feels like an hour, right? Yeah, and like it imprints in you really quickly. Like, yeah, when you make mistakes like that. I remember it was like the first time I got too drunk to play. Right. Like, yeah, it's a good. No-no. It was kind of the last time where I was like, all right, like that's something I'm gonna have to manage. Like. Right. Don't drink too much before you perform. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, some people, it's tempting to just give up. I mean, I don't know if, if that, yeah. if you, like, had to, like, confront that, but I but I could see why, like. Yeah, because, I know. mean, it's, I don't know, I'm pretty hard on myself. I'm probably my own worst critic. Yeah. In some ways, I'm also confident, but I, like. I don't know. I can beat myself up pretty bad, but I don't know what else to do with my life at this point. I mean, yeah, I, that's probably important. Yeah, <laughs> I feel trapped. <laughs> well, I, I just, mean, I probably would enjoy being a gardener or something. I could think okay. of like if I was to pick a life path now. Okay. That I've lived, it would probably be something really different. Okay. But it's like, I you know, you get in kind of like over your head, but also like things aren't falling apart. Right. So I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, even if I like. I mean, it seems to be even going if I well. fall on my face sometimes. Like, yeah. as long as overall, like I'm holding it together. Sure. Or like improving, you know. Yeah. Then I can keep going. So at this point, were you playing under SPL? Just Sam Pool. Sam Pool. Back then, yeah. Okay. Um, and then when, when did the, you know, how how did it take shape that, that you have this artist name and you're you're kind of got, you know, into a genre. You're playing drum and bass and making that. Like, how'd that all come together? It kind of came, like, it was after I'd given up on producing music. Um, I, like, I got deeper into buying drum and bass 12 inches and, like, um, you know, we had actually one of the record stores in Bend ordered 12 inches and like had them in and you could request things and then I'd also go to like chemical records mm-hmm. um and what was it breakbeat science breakbeat science yeah yeah and I would order online and listen nice. to previews and groove tech mm-hmm. also yeah another one um and I would check out all these spots and like order as I got deeper in the music it made me really want to make it again yeah. And like push. Um, 
but it was it was hard. But I think SPL came about when I'd first like when conversations with labels were actually going in a direction where I thought like where I could tell I was gonna pin a release mm-hmm. like within the next couple of years that I was on the right track. I was talking to people regularly. Yeah. Um and in correspondence and like working on my craft and getting a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um and then I was like reading about audio engineering as well and term SPL like came up and I was like, Oh, that's kind of like my initials a little yeah. bit with an added letter. So um yeah, I just like picked that and started yeah. putting that like in front of my file names. And then um one of the you know one of the rave promoters in band like put me on it was I was about to go to I went to school in Amsterdam and it was oh, like nice. the summer before I left yeah and I did like my first SPL party at the desert outdoor rave and mm-hmm. I don't know it was fun but it was it kind of like came about when I knew that like I had like a style of music that I liked a style of music that I was like aiming for producing mm-hmm. and that I would like come up with an alias for that and so how did uh how did going to Amsterdam affect the music that you're making? It was, I mean, it was awesome because, um, I mean, I studied over there and I, I didn't get a lot out of the school actually. Like they didn't, I mean, cutting edge dance music. Was that music school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was a music school. So I was going nice. to go study audio engineering over there. They teach you how um, to be a superstar Dutch DJ? No. No. It was it was weird. I wasn't like super impressed by the school, okay. to be honest. But being a kid from Bend, Oregon, who like for me going to Portland was like kind of a big that was like right. going to the city. Sure, yeah. And I remember like going to stay with my my sister went to the University of Chicago and mm. I remember staying with her out there. That was like a big deal. So then going to Amsterdam was crazy. Yeah. And the first label to ever sign one of my tracks was in the UK, too. And we mm-hmm. had to go, like, interview with the school, like, a month mm-hmm. before um, the course started. So I spent that month in England with, like, the, uh, Sinuous Records dudes, uh, mm-hmm. Kano and Dynamic and these dudes. And they, like, put me up. And fed me, nice. and we just sat around and like smoked spliffs yeah. and wrote music, and it was huge because in Bend no one was really like pushing mm-hmm. to like make rad music and like getting yeah. really excited in the studio. Yeah, um, and in the UK it's like a part of the culture. Like electronic music was, you know, way closer to mainstream. Oh, for sure. Than it was here at the time. So it was just really exciting to be, like, sitting in front of Logic and, like, messing around. And Mm -hmm. just, like, me and these two other dudes just kind of getting really excited about what we were doing. 
what we were trying to do I and mean, what I've, other people were doing. And yeah. There was just, like, kind of more energy in the air. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we've heard a lot from people on the show is that, like, you know, these, these places, whether it's England or, or L.A. or where, like, it just kind of forces you to step your game up, mm-hmm. right, because there's, you know, there's more opportunity, but there's more community. Yeah. It's, like, focused on that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of want to, you want to, like, in, if you're in the studio with people who really care, you kind of want to, like, show off and, yeah. like, impress them. And, you know, and are you conscious of that, or does it just sort of happen? I think both. I'm, like, yeah. conscious of it, but I, it's not, like, um, it's not, like, an active decision. Right. It's just, yeah. it happens, but you're aware of it. What You realize what's <clears throat> happening. Right. But it's just kind of happening on its own. Yeah. Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website. And you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag-and-drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy, and next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out, and you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to wix.com, create your own website today, send it to us, and we will promote it online. All right. And then what about Amsterdam? I mean, obviously, the, there's not as much of a drum and bass scene there. No, actually. And it was, like, kind of a bummer. <laughs> I showed up in Amsterdam, and it was like, um, it was cool because I was like a little stoner kid coming out of Bend, so I like good, good place to be then. Yeah, like the coffee shops and stuff are still like really cool. Yeah, we like we still don't really have anything like that out here. But um, I don't know. I'm not. I kind of like grew out of smoking weed all the time. <laughs> Probably a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I don't know. I see like super functional stoners out there, but for sure. I'm not one of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Amsterdam was kind of, it was rough, but Rotterdam, mm-hmm. which was like a pretty easy train ride away, yeah. had a lot going on for drum and bass. Yeah. And this kind of weird, like, um, fusion of, like, gabber and break core and drum and bass. Mm. And there was, like, this weird side of drum and bass where it kind of, like, because, like, Gabber and hardcore techno and everything's such, like, an integral part of Dutch dance music culture. Right. Um, even, like, the mainstream stuff coming out of Holland right now. Mm-hmm. Um, except for, like, the new kids. But, like, Tiesto and all those dudes have, like, if you go on their discogs, they all have Gabber aliases. Oh, really? Yeah, they were all doing that in the 90s. And that I was, like... I knew that. The, that was really like where the dutch like 
rave festival culture it was birthed out of that the i guess the edm culture there yeah it was like birthed out of hardcore so it was just really interesting and i liked it because it was really weird that's so interesting because you know i was thinking about that even um you know with drum and bass which for the most part hasn't been very mainstream at all uh-uh. but you know gave birth to you know first uk garage which was became really mainstream uh-huh. and then you know more recently like you know dubstep and trap really uh-huh. you know are they're kind of evolutions of drum and bass yeah and yeah they, for sure and so you know that's been really the the kind of constant for the last 10 to 20 15 years anyway is like you know these things kind of branching off of drum and bass and just becoming huge where and then the drum and bass the pure drum and bass sound is really kind of underground yeah it's just really fast like it's really fast and heavy and like obnoxious so sometimes yeah I mean, I I love obnoxious, so yeah, <laughs> it's good. But but, I but think so you know, for you the mainstream, that... I think it's like too much, right? And it may inherently like unless the mainstream really changes, and we've seen it change, but not like maybe as aggressively as it would need to to adopt drum and bass. So if you think about that, and think about what you're saying about Gabber and, and hardcore, like you know, how is like. How important is that to have this, like, really underground kind of thing that people can then build on and make that, you know, make, like, a create, like, a mainstream version? Is that, is that, like... I think it's essential. Really? Because it's, it's like, pure. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, money and business and everything, like, I... I've seen it repeatedly, like, really screw people's creativity up mm-hmm. over the years. Even within drum and bass, there's some artists, and I won't name names because, like, I really respect them, but they did, like, really creative, amazing things in the 90s. Right. And then when they figured out this, like, dance for formula in the 2000s, like, a lot of it turned into, like, garbage. Yeah. But they were getting, like... Lots of DJ gigs and selling records back then mm-hmm. and, like, making a living, which is good for people. But um, creativity, I don't know. When people do things just for, like, art for the sake of art, mm-hmm. I think, like, greater things can be achieved. So and how, in the kind of underground, I feel like that exists more where people just can kind of like, like otherwise you have to put on your blinders. Right. Um, but in the underground, some of the like materialistic motivations m- don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just can purely love the music and want to write stuff that they love and they're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and I and, and I think, you know, I think that applies to all creativity. Yeah, outside of music, even right? Like Absolutely, someone's got to just make stuff that's not going to sell, but that inspires, yeah, either themselves or other people to kind of make stuff then that will sell. And some of it does sell, like yeah. some of the underground weird stuff can sell. Um, it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, 
but like some of it can be the biggest stuff, but it'll be like the first recognized right version of that. So what about you? Like what was the first <clears throat> you know hit that you encountered? It was kind of like little, a lot of little baby steps. Uh-huh. I don't know if I've ever had like a big hit. Sure. Like, I mean, I've had like in different areas. So, um, when I was living in Amsterdam, I like met this dude Max who did stuff under Limewax, and he was like living with his parents. He was like sixteen at the time, and we were writing like music that was like heavily inspired by. Uh, tech itch and like a lot of the real dark kind mm-hmm. of sounds coming out of Bristol and London and um, but we had our own like weird version just cause we were really young and uh, you know naive and we didn't really you know I was studying out in Holland and not working I was just going to school and he was living with his parents, and we kind of just did things our own weird way. And it, like, these UK dudes that we were emulating, like, started releasing our material, and it, it like, started really catching on in Eastern Europe. Mm. I mean, the biggest shows I've ever played in my life are still, like, back in that era. Um, But, like, the money wasn't very good. Um, I think the biggest one was, like, 12,000 people or 10 or 12, somewhere in there. That's real. Yeah, in uh, St. Petersburg. Okay. And there was another one in Kiev. Mm. Like, things were, like really big there was like crazy attendance and like i remember mtv russia showed up at one of the parties and was like interviewing us it was really weird because i was living in bed or when that caught on i had moved back um to bend and was Mm -hmm. like living with my parents and in my hometown like no one right like i had lots of friends and stuff but um yeah but and they all knew i did music but they all thought it was crazy right and, like, I didn't even really play shows at home. Yeah. Because I think most of my music, like, scared people in band. So how does that affect your, you know, your your career and your creativity when you, like, stuff's happening for you in different places, but, you know, but when you're every day out of the house, like, no one knows about that. I think it... It, like, hurt it. I mean, I was really into that sound. Yeah. um, And really driven and focused. But looking back, it's hard to say. I think it was maybe a combination of that and maybe just, like, bad work ethic Mm. and being young and, like, partying too much. That I definitely didn't work as hard as I do now. So if you look back, would would you tell someone to, like, stay over in Europe and, like, be where the action is? I I wanted to, yeah. um, and I would say yeah, do that. Um, I would I had trouble like with visas and mm-hmm. stuff. Like I couldn't. Sure. I wanted to go out and do it legitimately. Right. Um, and I couldn't. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, it's, I was looking at Holland because most of my friends were there because I studied out there. And to get a visa in Holland is, like, really tricky for an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of money involved. Right. So. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, like, I mean, Holland used to just have pretty open borders, I think. Up mm-hmm. in, I don't know the exact history, but I think it was sometime in maybe the 80s or 90s. They really, like, hmm. they're, you know, they don't take a lot of people in. So I kind of just had to fight that and, yeah. like, deal with the reality that, <clears throat> and, like, I was doing music that in America was pretty unrecognized. Um, there was like a few junglist crews kind of saw what was happening mm-hmm. in Europe and tried to emulate that. Like who who were those? Just like a bunch of little ones just across the across the U.S. Yeah. Um, so I did like a tour when I got back, but I would say half the shows were pretty sparse, mm-hmm. or more than half the shows. Like it it never caught on. And they t- tried pushing that for, like, a year, and it just never caught. And then at a certain point, like, I was I would maybe play, like, one or two shows in the U.S., but do, like, an Australian and two European tours every year. It was mm-hmm. weird. Um, but I don't know. It was fun. It was fun to be part of that. I don't know if I really appreciated it at the time. I knew it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely get more excited now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, like what excites you now? <clears throat> just like, just simple things. Like I just become more appreciative of every little thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I just realize life's short. Was there something? I just that... want to be present. Was that in reaction to something? Probably. I think I was really depressed in my 20s. Yeah. It was just hard. So, and I just kind of had. About about business or or just in general? I think in general and business. And um, I don't know. I just had never, like, I never really studied, like, what it takes to be happy, if that makes sense. There's, like, I feel like. A lot of, like, my happiness now came through actually, like, reading, finding things out. What'd you read? Um, just, like, a bunch of Buddhist stuff. Yeah. Um, like, there was The Art of Happiness mm-hmm. by the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And um, it was just really interesting. I think I was just really caught up in kind of, like, materialistic stuff. Like, chasing what I don't have. Sure. Stuff like that. So I think just I mean, life. That's what, that's what your 20s are for. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's like that weird. Right. But like looking back, it's it's just funny because it's so directly tied to, I think, my music and everything. Yeah. Can you hear that in your music if you look back? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just in like, I mean, inevitably there will be a progression, or mm-hmm. at least you hope, mm-hmm. if you keep learning and practicing. Yeah. But just in the fact that I practice more now, and I think that just comes through, like, not being as lazy and, like, just living and, right. like, getting up and taking what I want. Yeah. yeah, Like, going out there and reaching for you it. You should read um, 
a book called Rebel Buddha. Rebel Buddha? It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, it's and it's like it's kind of like Buddha in this modern day context. I mean it's you know, there's some That's, Dalai Lama in there, but Yeah. But, it's, yeah. It's interesting stuff. It's cool. Yeah. Um you know, when you talk about looking back, like, you know, you hear from musicians in a lot of genres, you know, the rock guys or hip hop, like they get a you know, they get a hit single and like they gotta play that song for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And they, you know, they get tired of it and you know there's always that double-edged sword of like they want to go perform and obviously make a living you know playing music for people Mm -hmm. and then people just want to hear that one thing over and over you know how how does how much does that happen do you think in electronic music i think like a lot right yeah um so now like i want to get to present day but now you know you're making music with mad decent uh uh-huh which you know brings you, I'm sure, to a much bigger stage mm-hmm. here in the U.S. And and but so how much of that? How much is crowds like wanting to hear that song? That I don't. I don't have know? that song. Right. Um, so is that is that a good thing or? I think I've had like a mini version of that song where which it like comes and goes. I I wouldn't even say any particular song. Maybe that, maybe that's not the right way to put it. I definitely have shows where people are like, oh. You played that, or like, oh, I wish you played that, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've ever had like a, a massive hit sure. in my whole career. Yeah, I've had like tunes that were more popular, right? But not no like crazy windfalls, right? It's just been like a slow but steady climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just want. I mean, I don't know. I wonder. So in, yeah, live. I don't know. It's weird right now because live I've just gone through this evolution, which has been really challenging. Like it was really hard for me to figure out how to be like Champagne Drip as a DJ. All right. So so take us to Champagne Drip. Oh, I'm curious to know. Um, well, I want to hear all about how that happened. But, but I guess my first question is um, why is it a good idea why is it a good business decision to have two artist names? I think people are like fans um, can be like, I mean, we're all fans of music mm-hmm. and you know, we're all really different. And some of us have are more open minded than others. Um, but a lot of people and even myself at periods in my life would be really focused on like, one style of music and want to hear a certain right. thing yeah. and like get a certain thing out of music and there's like a certain feeling or vibe that every style of music kind of has its own thing that it does to you mm-hmm. so um it can be helpful just because i feel like music delivers on It'll meet expectations and then surprise you. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it works that way, and that's how music works. Um, so so was it the idea, like, I just want to explore a different style of music? Yeah. And then you got to do that under a different name? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd already explored. I did a lot of different stuff under SPL, so I also mm-hmm. learned a lot of things like the hard way. I think some things may have caught on more. Mm-hmm. If I had, like, when I started doing dubstep out of drum and bass, all my friends who, like, changed their name, 
to do that. Yeah. Like went really far with it mm-hmm. and it never really caught the way I wanted it to. Yeah. Um so I think just like learning that and learning like oh you know I had a bunch of like angry junglists at me and then a bunch of right? like confused dubstep because you like, had abandoned yeah, yeah. SPL? Really? Yeah, or no, when I just started making oh, dubstep or under any the music name. that was different, trap right. or whatever. Yeah. Um and then I also had like a bunch of really confused dubstep heads when I would like play drum and bass or like mm-hmm. release drum and bass tune. They'd be like, this is really fast, what is it? And I think that's cool in some ways. Like, I've always, like, as a DJ, I think it's, like, good to challenge people, like, mm-hmm. at certain moments. Like, you grab people, and you obviously want people to have fun and have a performance that's, like, engaging. Sure. But it's also an opportunity to, like, share something that you love that maybe people don't know about. Well, I think it's so interesting. You know, we, we there's so much talk in music about genres right and there's like a lot of people that feel that genres sort of don't matter and that all you know good music is good music and that but but you know i i don't know that i buy like i think humans like we need systems for organizing yeah information and in our thoughts right and um and like that helps like i ever you know i grew up you know, buying records in record stores. And, like, if I had to, like, search all over the store to find what I wanted, like, that would have just been a shitty experience. You know? Yeah. It'd be like going to a grocery store There's and, like, well, the bananas are over there. here, but the pears are on the other side of the store. Like, yeah, you know, it, it helps people find, especially in this environment with, you know, digital, like, there's so much music out there. Uh-huh. That if you just had to start over from scratch every time, trying to find what you would like, yeah, you know, it'd be maddening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be crazy. It would, but I you couldn't know, even that, imagine starting up as like an artist right now with right? like roots. I mean, I guess you just, it would just be a whole different thing. But I couldn't imagine it. So what do you see? I mean, I'm sure you run into kids that are starting up now. I don't. I don't no. know. You don't talk to him. No, I talk to him. But <laughs> like, don't guess, talk to me, kid. No, no. I think it's super cool. Um, yeah. I just don't know how to like break through now. But I mean, people obviously do it. I just think it's like very different because. So, so talk about that with Champagne Drip, right? Because that that artist came out of nowhere, uh-huh. right? And um, so kind ha- of okay, but it also it had happen? like years of practice behind sure. it and like networking right like uh but i know so reading the press you were kind of secret about yeah your identity for a while right uh-huh. so tell me why and and how did that how that re- play out i wanted i wanted to, people to like take it off of its n- n- own merit yeah and not just be like oh this is spl's new project mm-hmm Oh, it's way different or whatever. I just wanted it to be its own music and its own thing. Yeah. Um, which helped at first, but I did end up running into like, eventually I wanted to like associate with it 
yeah. as that was the plan Sam, all along, like or SPL or whatever. Right. Um, it wasn't the plan all along, but I didn't want to like wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to have to rely on like a big stage production or like all these things to like keep the identity hidden. I guess I could have just done a mask or something, but to me that's kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not really my style. It's definitely cheesy. Yeah. So <laughs> don't it's wear a like, mask on stage. I mean, you can like it's, but it's not me. Yeah. Um, and also like I kept it hidden from some of my friends and a lot of people. And part of the fun of like living in LA is being able to share what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, like when you go out, yeah, and check out what other people are doing, they might ask you what you're up to. Of course. And like. For a while there, I was like, oh, just, you know, working on music with nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's kind of like missing one of the perks of doing art. So, yeah. yeah, that was like a motivator. And also, I like, you know, I have a following with SPL and had built a social media reach mm-hmm. over time. Right. And figured I could use that to help. Push champagne drip too, yeah. and get it in front of more people. Yeah, and has that worked? Does it yeah. work to like? Yeah, it's working lead better now. Back and forth. Uh-huh. So is SPL retired? Is it? Are you still? I'm still working on music. It's just really yeah. slow. Yeah, like it doesn't. Right now, I'm pushing really hard with champagne drip. Sure. I like writing every day. Nice. And if I have some time to write for SPL, like, it's great. Or if I have an idea for it, mm-hmm. I'll jot it down. But, like, I, right now it's, it's like, taking a lower priority. So it's not retired. It's just kind of, like, hibernating until I can finish another record. Sure. Um, so do you, um, like, do you come across songs as you're writing that are, like, oh, that's an SPL track. Let me, like, do you have, like, does that... Do you know what I mean? Do you yeah, have to like I make mean, that, that distinction? That could happen. Usually I kind of know what I'm getting into to a certain extent when I'm yeah. starting to write. Um, just even like <laughs> for a while there, it's like even like if I'm going to write within a certain scale, like that'll kind of determine right. where it goes. Yeah. Um, so give me, are there two, are there two songs that like sort of best illustrate the, the difference between the two sounds. Yeah. There are I'm going through like a really weird period right now though okay. where it's like champagne drips changing a lot. Okay. Because what it started out as how would you describe that? It was like a weird like 80s kind of like future bass meets jungle thing, kind of its own like weird thing. Okay. Um but yeah, it's like had a lot of like, think like '80s Miami, like Miami Vice, Phil Collins, like that whole thing. Okay. Meets um, meets like some drum and bass production, and kind of like glitch hop influence and some trap influence. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And, and so, um, where's that? Where's that evolving to? It's kind of like. Right now, I'm just focusing more on, like, bass. I'm allowing it to get a little, like, darker. 
and more baseline driven mm-hmm. um, and kind of more hip hop influenced. Okay. But like hip hop in terms of the beats and then like, like dubstep and like IDM in terms of like the baselines. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just opening up based off of just what's working for me as a DJ and also what I'm inspired by in the studio. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. Like I'm going through like kind of a shift right after a shift, but it's just kind yeah. of quickly adapting and having fun with it and letting go a little bit. <laughs> So did you know that this was going to work? No. Or was it just like creatively I'm just going to do this and see what happens? Or the the new stuff or just champagne drip? Just champagne drip, period. I didn't know. I wanted something that I could like juxtapose against SPL and Mm -hmm. have like a really different outlet for I didn't know if it was going to work and and parts uh, of it didn't work like what like I mean the anonymity thing I think I hit a wall with that yeah and even with like the sound I felt like I hit a wall with that so right now I'm like Mm -hmm. entering new territory that's working way better Mm -hmm. Um, just because I think it's you can't predict the future, and I think it's important to, like, move when things plateau. Mm-hmm. I've learned that when they start to, like, get stuck. So I agree, and, and it seems like one of the challenges, you know, in your position is to recognize when that plateau is happening. Yeah. And I think so many artists or, you know, creative or business people in any area, like, you're in it, and it's really hard to see when the curve's coming. Yeah, and it also goes against, like, what a lot of people tell you. A lot of people tell you, like, have a mission statement, make a brand, and stay on brand. Yeah. Like... So tell me why those people are wrong. um, I think they're only wrong when that brand, like, isn't working. Right. Or, like, that mission statement isn't working. But every brand hits that point, right? Uh And I guess that... You know, companies go through rebranding yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, sure. Or they change mm-hmm. a lot. So a how lot do you know, like, really what, what do you look for to tell you that your your brand is getting stale or you're hitting a plateau or whatever it is? I don't, you know, I, um, for me, it's just, like, feeling. Mm-hmm. And the more I do this, the more, the closer I get to a point where it's, like, realizing that I could, like, worry 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 about the business but unless my music like really moves people like it's not gonna stick in the way i want it to right i mean i could like really focus on the internet and try and be like an internet celebrity and then have a dj career off of that there Mm -hmm. are other ways but for me i think it's like Having that moment in the studio where, like, I get goosebumps or the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And 
most of the time when I have that, when I play it for people, I get like a similar reaction or it like moves people or it's capable of moving people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, the best I can do is just kind of follow that. Um, so do you ever worry, like you said at the beginning, you know, people around Ben, like everyone was overly generous. It was nice, right? Yeah. They didn't give you maybe, you know, the, the real feedback. Uh-huh. And so do you ever worry about that? Like, Not like, as much now. No. Not with, like, social media and, like, you'll you'll hear all of it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have good friends who, like, will tell me their opinions, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't – I mean, it depends on who you are as an artist, but I don't know how important that is for me anymore. The because, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely, like, for me it's important, like, if I'm DJing, like, the crowd will give me feedback mm -hmm. just, like, in the air. Right. Like, I can feel it. So I'm kind of just going off of that now. Yeah. Um, and that's, like. Is it the same? I mean, we've talked a lot on this show with different DJs about reading the room and, you know, feeling that energy in the moment, right? Uh-huh. And so how well do you think that that uh, transfers into social media? Like if it works in the room, is it going to work I don't, on Spotify? Maybe. Um, I mean, Spotify is like you're only going to find music unless it's in like a curated playlist right. or you're looking well, for it. Well, I don't mean to pick on Spotify already. specifically, but, um, but just saying like. But even like SoundCloud and. Yeah. Right, right now, um, I th I think it does actually, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know if it has like the impact in the club environment, and then you have a fan of club music, mm -hmm. and they listen to that outside of the club environment, they're gonna be looking for that thing, yeah, that they get in like at the club or festival or wherever they're checking out the music, mm -hmm. um. So if it has that thing, whatever that thing is, then I think it translates to, like, the world outside of the party, mm -hmm. um, which is, like, yeah, on SoundCloud, Spotify, and yeah. everything. Okay. Um, what about – so you, you have – I've noticed your social is, like, part promotional and part, like, kind of being funny and some politics. Yeah. Um is that is there a like is there a social media plan um, or, or how do you use social is it, is it just you post randomly whatever you feel like it's like you know I work on it with my manager so mm -hmm. he's like doing a lot of the promotional stuff um, and for me yet yeah, most of it's more just like emotional so yeah. it's like if I feel something and I don't think I'm like shooting myself in the foot by posting it, I'll post it. Right. Um, and does that work? Like, do you, you know, are there indications that that's helping you connect with fans? A bit. Yeah. Um, but, like, right now I'm just more focused on, like, the music because that's actually in this moment, like, in this particular time in my career, that's the most effective thing mm -hmm. right now. Is to just like be an artist, sit in the studio and try to make really cool shit, mm -hmm. and then yeah, just use 
social media to share that with people and talk to people, you mm-hmm. know, um, keep a conversation <clears throat> going. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm just trying to, like, focus on, uh, on yeah, just, like, the beats and everything. Sure. Have new stuff for sh- every show if I can. Right. Um, and it's working really well. Like, I'm having more of those awesome like performance moments where it just feels like really good and i walk away feeling really good and like present with mm-hmm. it um probably that, more than does that ever help you in the studio yeah 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 it's kind of it's very symbiotic right now yeah and i'm on the road more like this summer than i have been in a while so it's like there's this good kind of like momentum going sure and That's so I'm cool. just kind of focusing on that. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, I guess like Colin and I are using socials to get word out there. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what I've been trying to do is like also connect with other artists lately, just personally like reaching out rather Through than just, or just email or just, and stuff. Yeah. I'm tr- trying to make things a little more personal Yeah. right now. The social media is just crazy. Like I, I look at my Twitter feed and – one thing I did with my Instagram is I stopped just like, or with the champagne drip Instagram, I wouldn't follow someone because I knew them right? or because they like followed me or whatever. I'm mostly following accounts where I like really care about mm-hmm. the content. So yeah. I'm following lots of like motion graphics artists and like oh, cool. interesting stuff like that. And not a ton, but enough to where it's like engaging when I look at it. Yeah. I look at my Twitter feed, I feel like a lot of the people we've followed, like, I don't know them, and right. I'm not interested in what they have to say. Right. And it's made Twitter kind of, like, lackluster for me. Yeah, I've definitely found that, you know, with myself and with some, you know, brands that I work with. It's like, it's easy to, you know, there are these these ideas, right, that, oh, you should follow people, you know, you should support them with a follow yeah. if they're supporting you or if you want them to or, you know— these sort of like influencers or tastemakers that for whatever reason you want to feel connected to. But to that There's point. There's no like, real connection. Though. Well, yeah, maybe not. And then also, you know, that could you could wind up with a feed that's not inspiring to you. Yeah. If you're not really interested in the stuff they have to say. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. For sure. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I don't know if I'm like the best at Twitter or anything. So I'm like, you should probably not listen to me. At all about I don't know. I social saw, media. <laughs> I, I, saw, I don't know. I, you know, like, <coughs> there's a whole bunch of different ways to get that right. Yeah. And, you know, what works for you. You know, maybe it's not going to be the thing that, like, breaks a new record for you. Yeah. But it might inspire you to, to make great music uh-huh. based on what you're finding, right? So there's there's different paths. I did see that you're um, connected with Sexy Sax Man. Oh, yeah. I love that yeah. dude. Yeah, he's... He's awesome. Yeah, Colin, um, my manager, I guess I didn't mention who Colin was, but Colin connected me with him like uh, almost two years ago now. Okay. I did this uh, David Bowie cover yeah. with like my friend Haley, and there's a sax solo in the original, and right. Colin was like, hey, I know Sergio. I bet I can get him in. So cool. I was like, who is this guy? And I saw his, like, YouTube pranks. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah, let's get this guy in. 
He's amazing, man. So we had him, I, you know, we we discovered him on YouTube, whatever. Uh, has it been like six, five, six years ago? Uh-huh. And like like when his stuff was really like blown up. Yeah. Um, and I had him, uh, I had him come. It was one of my guys' uh, birthdays, and we went out to eat. We took, you know, I took my staff out to go eat lunch, and I had him come to the restaurant and like play Careless Whispers. That's awesome. For my, for the kid whose birthday it was, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, he's, he's a great dude. Yeah, he's yeah. Cool. <laughs> and he just he comes in, he does like it's probably forty five seconds. Uh huh. You know, and we like we paid him, and yeah, you know, had him come do his thing, and he walks in with no shirt, and like just gets on this dude's lap, and like starts playing. <laughs> it was just amazing. That's awesome. It's so much fun. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah, that Fourth of July thing he just launched. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's pretty awesome. Is he it? Just did, he's like out in the L.A. River. Oh, oh, I did see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Instagram. Yeah, and there's like smoke coming out of his sacks or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't say I'm terrible at social media. Or maybe I am, but I'm really enjoying Instagram, though. Yeah. It's fun. Like, yeah. I like visual content. I've been getting more into, like, graphic design and stuff. That's cool. Kind of doing my own art. That's oh, fun. Nice. Yeah. This is like creative. Sure. You know, so. Yeah. So what's next? What's the big, what are the big goals that you, you haven't achieved yet? Oh, man. There's a lot. Yeah? I want to do like some music for movies someday. Okay. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Um, I want to, I really am like curious to see where Champagne Grip, Drip goes. Like I'm feeling very ambitious about it right now. Um, especially with the new music, like mm-hmm. I'm, I think right now I'm writing like the best stuff I've ever written. I'm definitely happiest with it. And nice. Like I feel like I've kind of reached reaching new creativity, using sounds in new ways, and making it work. Yeah. Um. And kind of really finding my own sound that I think I could have only found after, like, years of doing different stuff. So I just want to see where this goes. So right now, like, my short-term goal is to just, like, write every day I can Mm -hmm. um, and just come up with new material, see what I can land on and come up with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, just push it and, like, perform the best I can at shows and see where it goes. Yeah. So how much is there, you know, a a plan versus just kind of It's hard to plan. Yeah. I think like my greatest moments in my career were when I was just feeling the music and just kind of being pure with the art mm-hmm. and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um and not worried so much about trends. And everything, but just try to do something good. Yeah, um, and that's always worked the best for me. What about what's been the hardest day? The hardest is actually when I try to like plan it out, and when I try to like um, be like, "Oh, this is gonna be hot. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do this," or like, okay, "What's it? you have an example?" Just. There are certain things, like, with dubstep, there's certain, like, 
sounds I explored that I probably shouldn't have because I look back and it's like moments where I'm like least proud. Mm. And then some, my more proud moments were like early on in dubstep before like all this stuff was happening and there was all this money mm-hmm. and there was anything to chase at all. And like I was just really focused on making cool sounds right. and like cool music that made me vibe out yeah. in the studio yeah. and like work live. And there was this, it was like 2007, 2008, I kind of hit like a peak with that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like the whole thing blew up and went mainstream and it was like, oh, I can do that. Like I'm going to like go down that road. And looking back on it, I'm like, I I can tell that the music's, like, less inspired. Mm. Um, and that there's, like, ulterior motives behind it, you know? Do you think you can hear that in other people's music or just your own? To an extent, yeah. yeah. I can definitely hear when something's super inspired. Mm-hmm. It's, like, creative. It's unique. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that the artist is just really enjoying what they're doing. So who's like, inspiring you right now? Um, oh, man, every time I'm asked this question, I'm like, <laughs> don't think of it. And then tomorrow I'll think of it. Okay. Um, well, let me try to dig into that wherever. What is it? Oh, yeah. Um, the stuff that... Alex Perez and Eprom are doing under Shades. Okay. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And it was, I saw them at What the Festival. Out. Um, it was like very unique. They're very creative. They have their own sounds, but it all like really works though. It's not like alienating. I mean, it's weird and it's dark, but it's just like it has like it's beats and bass and it, like works within that. It was yeah. a really fun set. Nice. And like uh the record they put out last year was amazing. And they've got a bunch of new material right now that's really good too. Nice. Um that stuff's really standing out to me. Cool. Right now. What about uh is there a favorite festival or, or a festival that people should know about? Um what the festival? That was actually the best festival experience I've had. Nice. Um, yeah, we hear a lot of good things about that. Not the, I mean, my favorite festival is Burning Man. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's just crazy. Is that right? Yeah, it's my wife's bugging me to take her. It's fun. Is Have it? you been? No. It's it's crazy. You know, there a lot of people hate it, and a lot of people get like obsessed with it, and. Mm-hmm. And like do it year round. Right. Um, I'm somewhere like between the middle uh-huh. and like. Well, I shouldn't say obsessed because I've I like only go like once every three years for the last few years. But it's always yeah. it's always worth it. It's yeah. yeah. It's seven days. Like it's super fun. Yeah. It's, everything looks weird out there. It's uh, right. You know, it's out in the middle of the desert and. But there's like some really high production value. Like they're these dudes, For Camp sure. Question Mark. Okay. They just they team up with PK Sound and just 
bring out this just crazy bass rig. Mm. And so the bass is just, like, crazy every night at their camp. And they have, like, really, they have a lot of talent come through. Nice. So that's kind of, like, the pinnacle festival experience that I've had. That's cool. Um, But outside of that, they actually do their own festival in Belden Town called Emissions. Mm. And there's another one, Still Dream. Okay. Super fun. And. Like the festival, I feel like the festival grounds make or break a festival. Yeah, Absolutely. for me, it's like I I love nature in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Being from Bend, I think that's just like in my blood. Yeah. So if I can like go listen to music that I love, out and be surrounded by trees or desert or whatever, mm-hmm. like that kind of makes it for me. Yeah, yeah, that that's huge. I mean, I. And security too. Like right. if it, if there's a more trusting kind of mm-hmm. relaxed environment, mm-hmm. like Burning Man is kind of a. I mean, it's organized chaos, right? Or like what the festival? It's like you're just kind of out there to your own devices, you yeah. know. And it's safe and everything. Usually, mm-hmm. people take care of each other. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. So that kind of environment's good, as opposed to. Like some of the more mainstream festivals, it's like a security checkpoint and this and that. Right. And like, you know, I just see like, you know, people having to be in lines and I guess you get spoiled as an artist, but it's still, it like bums me out seeing people have to like go through all this like trouble to have fun and then like everything's expensive and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of lacks vibe. Yeah, totally. Um, who's, who has taught you the most in your career? Oh, man. Um, there's like a few people. I've definitely like learned a lot from 12th Planet. Mm. He was, he was there like in the beginning helping me out. Mm -hmm. Um, and like calling my manager learned a lot from him yeah um, what did you learn from 12th planet um to like have fun and like be present um those and are, like those are important things to learn. yeah yeah to see someone who's like you know he's well also i watched him go through like a change too from drum and bass when he was infiltrator mm-hmm. and his move into 12th Planet worked really well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's someone, like, where you've watched, like, EDM go this direction, and he's really stuck to his guns to, like, what he likes with dubstep and mm-hmm. the sound that he pushes. And, um, you know, he's still doing, like, where he's just doing, like, an evolution of what... He's been doing from the beginning, which is pretty cool. You can tell that he just, like, loves that music. So to watch him and, like, just, you know, he's a cool dude. Like, he's a person who will, like, remember your mom's name. And he's, like, never met her, you know. So just kind of learning, like, that kind of stuff. Be like, oh, that's, like, that's a good way to be. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay, my last question. 
Favorite DJ. Favorite DJ. Um, probably Carl Cox. Okay. I'd say. Where'd you see him? Um, I saw him at EDC. Mm. Um, I've watched like a lot of videos of his. Like when I when I was growing up, yeah, I would like listen to every Carl Cox thing and watch everything. Yeah, and yeah, he's just got a good vibe. Plays music he likes, and he's got like awesome technical skills. And I love techno. Mm-hmm. Like I think secretly, I wish I just had a techno career going. Is that right? But yeah, maybe or not be, so secretly. Maybe that'll be the next. Yeah, I don't know. Project. I like write it, but yeah. You know, it's like there's not enough time. My ears die after about like eight hours. Yeah, for sure. Or just even sitting on a, in front of a computer for that long. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Totally. So, but yeah, it's fun. I'll like uh, I DJ that sometimes. Like at home, I'll just like put down a techno set. Nice. Yeah, that's fun. That's cool. I, I love it when DJs um, like experiment with genres. Yeah. Like playing live that are not their genres. Yeah. Because I think you get a different, you know, we, I was doing that for a while. We were doing um, parties for Scion and we would have like, you know, we'd have some of the house guys come out and do hip hop sets. That's cool. Which they all started with because in the 80s, that's what there was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, but they, you know, some of these guys hadn't played that in, in a decade. Yeah. And so, just, you know, letting them have that freedom. Yeah, you get a lot of energy there. Totally. That's yeah. awesome. I would I would love to do something like that. Yeah, sometimes so I think like... If anyone's listening and wants me to come play techno. <laughs> all right. Hit Colin up. Yeah. Book Champagne yeah. Drip for your yeah. techno set. Or we'll be under a different name. We'll have to see. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever they want to do, I'll come play some nice. techno. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I'd come see that. Yeah. Right on. That'd be fun. Well, dude, thanks for being here, man. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having Great me. Great conversation. Yeah. And um, how do we, how does everybody find you? Um, Well, I'm probably, like I said, I'm having more fun on Instagram right now. Okay. So my Instagram account's good. Champagne um, Drip on Instagram. Yeah, it's just at Champagne Drip, uh, no spaces. Cool. And same with Twitter, like, I... I I really like it when people talk to me actually online. It's like, you know, I'm sitting in front of the computer all day. Right. So it's like if you hit me up, I'll I'll like do my best. Nice. SoundCloud, I like forget to check the mail sometimes. Sure. And Facebook, I'm not as good at checking the mail and yeah. everything just because it's like a clusterfuck of information on there. But yeah, if you hit me on Twitter, I I like. It's always good to hear from people and whatever. Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Cool. Well, we'll keep checking, checking for you and definitely uh, keep us posted. Yeah, for sure. Love to see what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious <laughs> myself. <laughs> awesome. See. All right. Cool. Okay, that was Champagne Drip. I, I really liked that interview. I hope you did too. Next week, my man Bishop Lamont, he's got some crazy stories about this rap game. It has not been kind to him. But he's a survivor, and he's going to tell us all about that. So make sure you tune in. In the meantime, hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Find us on Facebook. And, of course, visit the website rebelradio.net, built with Wix.com, courtesy of our sponsor. And uh, we'll see you next week.